Hello, friends. Hello, 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 friends. A tradition unlike any other. Oh, 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 my goodness. In your life have you seen anything like that? There it is. Adam Scott, a life changer. Mashed potato. Here it, here it, here it, here it comes. Just before we get started, a word from our friends at Future Golf, the official golf club partner of the 19th Tee Podcast. Future Golf is Australia's largest golfing community for younger players, providing access to some of Australia's very best courses. Your membership includes free rounds, over 90 discounted green fees Australia-wide, a free professional lesson, an ex-golf simulator session, and of course, the all-important Golf Australia handicap. The best part, though? definitely the price with packages starting at just $24.95 per month it is the very best value golf membership you'll find plus listeners of this little podcast get a further 10% off with any future golf membership with the promo code the 19th t that's t-h-e-1-9-t-h-t-double-e and what i will say druids is the folks at future golf have been fantastic in the current crisis all current members will have their their full 12 month membership uh, granted, once golf recommences in each of your states, if you're signing up to a new membership at the moment, same deal. If you can't play, say if you're in Victoria and you're jumping on board with a new membership, then you'll have your full 12 months once golf resumes. They've been fantastic in honouring their memberships in the current crisis, so they deserve a big pat on the back, but there's certainly no reason not to jump on board with Future Golf at this point in time and save yourself a bit of cash, the 19th D promo code, that 10% off any new membership. So if you're looking for a place to play without the jacket and tie, Look no further than Future Golf. Head to www.futuregolf.com.au forward slash join. And don't forget to use the 19th T promo code for an extra 10% off. Future Golf, play your way. Welcome back to the 19th T podcast. This is part two of our deep dive on the Augusta National Golf Club. If you haven't listened to part one, go back and listen to that first. Uh, this will make a lot more sense if you do that. It's been a lot of fun uh, taking a really close look at Augusta National Golf Club, specifically not so much the Masters, but the club behind it. Um, and in part two, uh, we start to uncover a little bit more about the membership. Uh, we continue our chat on the facilities um, and just some of the oddities and secrets that uh, lie within the bounds of Augusta National Golf Club. On to the members section, KM. Now, this is the shortest part of the members uh, of our podcast tonight. Um, purely because Augusta no, National does, yeah, because there is no information. Augusta National does us no favors. They don't publish a members list. It doesn't take applications. You simply wait for the invitation to rock up in the mail, which, as I mentioned to you before we started, Marshy, gives me great hope that there might be one coming in the mail at any day. That, I'm not holding my breath. I'm not holding my breath either, but it warms impossible. my heart that, that I know that I haven't got an application that's been declined. Do they know who Nathan Drudy is in Perth? Absolutely not, they don't. But I'd, it, it, it's just let me have it, all right? <laughs> just, just let me have my little bit of patience. And Do they know it's 3B, not 3A? Like, <laughs> aware of the address? Are they aware of the address? Oh, God. One day, hopefully. No, it'll never happen. Interesting for, it's, interestingly for a club uh, that is so heavily secretive, uh, members must wear their green blazers during tournament week if they're attending. Um, it's said, so this tradition is said to have begun to ensure that patrons could find a member easily if they needed assistance. The green jackets that I mentioned, they never leave the grounds. They always hang in the member's individual locker. Uh, and there are some famous members um, 
you know, the, the, like anything these days, names and, and whatnot do get out. So some famous members include Warren Buffett, uh, Bill Gates, Roger Goodall, the NFL commissioner, Lou Holtz, uh, one of the great college football coaches of all time, Jack Nicholas himself, uh, and Condoleezza Rice, who was the first woman invited into the club in 2012. Um, that's really, we have all on the members because it is so secretive. Um, uh, there's, I suppose, magnates from around the world um, are members. Uh, you know, there's said to be quite a few Irish members uh, from what I believe. Um, but it did get me thinking, I wonder if there are any Australian uh, members of Augusta National. I, I suspect they probably won't volunteer that information, um, but we might set it aside as a as a life goal of this podcast to speak. <laughs> to find to one you. name. Yes, find a name, identify an Australian member of Augusta National um, to peel back the curtain a little more. Um, however, Drews, and not a bad little segue here, peeling back the curtain at Augusta National. Mm. Yep isn't always the most pleasant of experiences because um, for as much um, mythology and mystique and reverence with which golf fans treat the facility um, and particularly the tournament and rightfully so, um, Augusta National's stance on social issues um, has been, I think, what you'd appropriately describe as reprehensible yeah. in, in the past. So it would be remiss to whitewash this podcast with, uh, and that's ironic that I use the phrase whitewash, um, this podcast with, uh, you know, a one-eyed view of the club and speak to its, um, you know, speak to its wins and its glories without pointing out that it has a number of shortcomings in its history. So we won't spend too long on this, but, um, in order to not, you know, bring the tone down, but it is important to know uh, because it's not all roses uh, at Augusta National. The club has um, long held uh, and has a a storied history of both racist and sexist views. Um, Clifford Roberts, the inaugural chairman, once said, um, "Quote: As long as I'm alive, so not just as long as I'm chairman, as long as I have breath in my lungs." all golfers will be white and all caddies will be black. That is a quote on the record from the first chairman, Clifford Roberts. This was, in fact, a rule, a rule at Augusta National until 1983. <laughs> so if you cast your mind back to when we were talking about um, memorable Masters moments, and we mentioned Lee Elder was the first African-American to play in the Masters. He did so in 1975. It would be a further eight years before the rule that governed play outside of the Masters at Augusta National to be only white players and only black caddies were scrapped. That's unbelievable. It is. Uh, I think... 1983 is such a long time too, considering all the movement that sort of happened in the, in the sort of late sixties and, and seventies um, when those sort of values and ideologies were still so heavily entwined, particularly in, in the South. And I think we need to remember the area, point. yeah, the area in which we're talking about um, for this not to happen until 1983 
shows how backward <laughs> Augusta National was mm-hmm. and probably still is to, to a large extent. Oh, and, and to be fair, I mean, um, well, no, I shouldn't use the phrase to be fair because it's, it's all ridiculous, but the racism problem was not Augusta National exclusive golf itself um, as a game. Mm. Um, you know, we often talk about the, the stereotype of golf that remains to this day of being, um, you know, being a affluent sport, a stuffy sport. Well, add to that the fact that it was a sport for white men, essentially, mm. at yeah. this time. You know, the PGA itself had a um, white players only rule through until 1961. Mm. So if you add to that the permutations of race in the South, um, it's for as disgusting as it is, it's not all that surprising mm. um, that these sort of viewpoints and these sort of rules existed at Augusta National, which, Drudes, um, made the 1997 Masters um, all, I suppose, in, in hindsight, um, all the more sweeter mm. when Tiger Woods playing in his first um, and, and winning his first major by a record 12 shots became the first person of colour to win the event. Now, if you consider the context, this was 1997. Um, there is no doubt that, that um, there would have still been members at Augusta National, um, as there would have been people more broadly in Georgia and other southern states who maintained those sorts of viewpoints at that mm. time. Mm. And I think that there's something truly sweet and truly ironic about the fact that not only did he win that tournament in 1997 by record 12 strokes, but the fact that he has been so dominant at this course for so long, uh, quite a metaphorical middle finger to the old fashioned views of so many at Augusta national. Yeah, it's a really good point. And the PGA had a rule until 1961 and Augusta national Augusta Nationals rule didn't come in until 1983. What was happening for those 22 years in between the 22 years? In between, it was yeah. there was more time between Augusta National changing its rule after the PGA Tour than there was until Tiger Woods became the first person of color to win the event since they changed the rule. It's it's funny, you know, because we're, we're going to continue to talk about this here, but um, Tiger becomes this this focal point and this lightning rod for this issue um, because, you know, he, he wasn't a, uh, he, he wasn't just a, a golfer in the pack. He was, you know, he rocketed onto the scene and he quickly became the very best player in the world mm. has gone on to become the best player there's ever been. Uh, and he just happened to be an African American. Yeah. So he, you know, unwittingly, for him at least anyway, his father Earl Woods was very vocal about issues of race and Tiger's role in, in, in I suppose, changing um, the, the nature of people's views, but he wasn't. Um, so in many respects, unwittingly catapulted into the middle of these issues um, purely by, by nature of the colour of his skin, which, um, you know, in the late 90s into the 2000s is wild to think mm. about the issue. Yeah. Speaking of the early 2000s, Drews, in 2002, uh, the chairman of Augusta National, Hootie Johnson, came under fire when questioned about only allowing men into the club. Johnson said it was the club's right 
just as fraternities and sororities, Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts, allow single-gender membership. Following the disagreement and public fallout, two members rescinded their memberships, and the 2003 and 2004 Masters tournaments were broadcast without commercials due to corporate pressure. Uh, we mentioned that, the fact... Oh, sorry, you go. Does that just not show you again what Augusta stands for in the sense that it went, we don't need commercial support. So one, it shows you how financially viable they are to run two mm. masters without the, the, the put the, the input of corporate partnership, mm. but also like just to go, we can do this on our own. We, we, we don't actually need you here. And if you don't agree with what we say, we're going to do it anyway. There are very few entities that don't shudder in the face of a withdrawal of commercial support. Yeah. Um, and only those who are so confident in their financial position because they have complete control yeah. uh, are willing to withstand that sort of pressure. And that's the sort of um, <laughs> Illuminati organisation we're talking about here. That's yeah, that's what Augusta National is. Definitely. Um, Tiger Woods again. We just spoke about the, the the fact that he was catapulted into the middle of these situations. He, pressure was put on him to boycott the 2003 Masters because of this issue um, of not allowing female membership at Augusta National, which he was uh, frustrated by, as he was the only player to be dragged into the frame. It's a large field at Augusta National each year for the Masters. Only Tiger was um, asked to boycott on behalf of um, the, the the cause because he was going for the three peat. Yeah, of course. Um, in the end, he came out in support of admitting women to the club, uh, to, to which Hootie Johnson um, said, I don't tell Tiger how to play golf, so he shouldn't tell us how to run our club. Um, <laughs> be, bear in mind... Okay, Hootie. Yeah, bear in mind this is Tiger Woods in 2003. There is... This is Pete no, Tiger. <laughs> there is no bigger athlete on the planet at that time than Tiger Woods. And he just happens to be a golfer. That's never happened. Golfers wouldn't have been in the conversation of top five, maybe top 10 biggest athletes in the world. Mm-hmm. The attention, the commercial opportunities that he's bringing to the game, unprecedented. And you have the chairman of Augusta National telling him to sit and swivel. Don't tell me how to run my club. Um, I think it speaks volumes not only of Hootie Johnson as an individual, but of the ethos of Augusta National itself. Yeah. Hootie Johnson was a very interesting character too. Um, <laughs> Write that down. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if anyone ever really got knows the history of, of Hootie Johnson. Um, yeah, I mean, he was... Yeah. Yeah, he was a banker. Uh, he was obviously chairman. Held some very interesting views <laughs> on um, a number of different a number of different um, issues. But uh, yeah, that's a whole other podcast. Episode. Do your research. We would suggest to listen. Yeah, Google because it. it's so. Uh, and uh, I'm I'm um, reticent to get into it because it is so murky. And. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't want a, uh, I don't need a cease and desist from Patrick no. Reed's lawyers. No, we, we're still 
relatively in infancy. Legal troubles <laughs> is not where we need to be right now as a podcast. But we would encourage you to um, Google Hootie Johnson and yeah. prepare to go down the rabbit hole. Correct. Um, in, in the same vein, talking about Tiger being admonished by the chairman of Augusta National, uh, I thought it was relevant to cast our minds back to 2010. Uh, mm-hmm. Tiger had obviously gone through all of his uh, off-course controversy, shall we say, his extracurricular activities, um, and he was returning to the Masters for the first time since facing the music. He'd done um, the now-famous press conference with his mum there in the front row. He had admitted um, his mistakes. He had um, been admonished. Uh, I don't know that we've... He repented his sins. We've rarely seen um, essentially what amounted to the modern day version of a public stoning, um, and not not to say crucify true, him, not to say that it wasn't warranted. Um, let me be very clear: not endorsing. <laughs> no, I'm not Team Tiger here in that situation. But he had been dragged through the coals. There was not much more that you could do to the man. However, um, upon his return to his first Masters since the controversy of 2010. Um, the then chairman, um, Billy Payne, felt that uh, after all that had happened, he too should add some words because, you know, um, that's what was lacking. We hadn't heard from Billy Payne yet and his thoughts on the issue. And obviously we were hanging out for that. So in his annual chairman's press conference on the Wednesday before play, he was asked about Tiger's return, um, to which he replied, uh, it is simply not the degree of his conduct that is so egregious. It is the fact that he disappointed all of us, and more importantly, our kids and our grandkids. Our hero did not live up to the expectations of the role model we saw for our children. Is there a way forward? I hope yes. I think yes. But certainly, his future will never be again measured only by his performance against par but measured by the sincerity of his efforts to change. Billy Payne eviscerated Tiger Woods in a way that no chairman has ever eviscerated a multiple times champion of that tournament. I just want to focus in for a moment though on this last line. His future will never again be measured only by his performance against par, but measured by the sincerity of his efforts to change the sincerity of his efforts to change from the chairman of a club that didn't change a white player's only rule until 1983. Yeah. Chairman of a club Pot kettle black. that didn't allow female members until 2012. In 2010, we're saying that Tiger will be judged by his sincerity of his, of his efforts to change. Billy, Please. Yeah. Have a spell, Billy. Have have more than a spell. Retire. <laughs> Go out to the paddock. That's incredible. The sincerity of his efforts to change. He stood up there and said that with a straight face as the chairman of Augusta National. It's funny too because the chairman doesn't really comment on on things that aren't related to the event. It's a very... For good reason. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, clearly. But, uh, you know, they, they don't comment on things that aren't related to the actual event of the Masters. If there's anything asked around in the club, the, the response is always that's a club matter. 
Um, and the, it's almost scripted the press conferences in, in a lot of ways. Um, so control it was, yeah, control the message. It was really interesting, um, for Billy Payne to come out and, and I suppose one speak about something that wasn't to do with the masters, um, in essence, uh, but to whack Tiger Woods, um, considering all that where it was not warranted or needed. Correct. Yeah, correct. Uh, moving right along, trades because um, we said we wouldn't spend too long um, on the brick bats, but we, we, it's extended, and so it should. Um, they deserve a whack um, because this stuff is is reprehensible, as we said. But it's important to the history too. Absolutely, it provides context um, because we it can't all be glowing because it certainly is not. In 2012, Augusta National extended membership to um, Condoleezza Rice uh, and Darla Moore to become the first women in the club. I'll just bear that in mind, 2012. Um, and in 2018, Fred Ridley announced the club would establish the Augusta National Women's Amateur Championship in 2019. Uh, so now the women playing amateur championship there, which uh, Gabby Ruffles, uh, Australian, was um, had the opportunity to play in this year, courtesy of her win of the American Amateur last year. And... Um, foregoed that opportunity because it coincided at the time in scheduling with the first um, women's major of the year. Uh, obviously, neither event took place, but uh, we would have had an Aussie in the field. This, uh, we were, sorry, wouldn't have had an Aussie in the field, albeit she would have qualified um, this year had all things been equal pre-COVID break, Drudes. Correct. It's interesting, again, not to keep harping on the, the women not being allowed to be in the club thing, but um, it's interesting because there are still golf courses around the world that, that exist like that Pine Valley, the number one rated course, according to golf.com in the world is men only. And they can bring, um, they can bring female guests into the club, but there are no female, um, no female members. I suppose the biggest difference is that Pine Valley is not in the spotlight for one week of the year uh, uh, um, under the most scrutiny. Um, it is not for the non-avid um, golf fan and the once a year watcher, the most famous course in the world. Correct. We now move to, um, we're nearly at the end. Um, we're definitely into part two, Marshy. We're, we're definitely into part two. We're not putting this out as a, as a single episode. No. If you're stuck with us, it's now two to three days later. Congratulations and welcome back. Yeah. <laughs> We've definitely turned this into to a bar. This is this is the very weird and wacky stuff. This is under the heading uh, of odd things and interesting facts. This this is wild. Is yeah, it is. we begin in 1983 uh, with President Ronald Reagan, who was uh, playing at Augusta National. His round was actually ruined um, by a hostage situation. He made an absolute mess of the par 312. Uh, two of not Reagan's entourage decided they the would go, hey? Not the first person to do not, that. Not the first person to, to butcher the par 312. Uh, Reagan's entourage went to the pro shop to do a bit of shopping. And during that time, a man by the name of Charles Harris burst in with a gun demanding uh, a conversation with the president. Uh, he'd recently been fired from his job. Um, and things had gone downhill and he saw that that was Ronald Reagan's um, fault. Eventually, uh, Reagan did speak with Harris on the phone, but the connection was really poor. It didn't really turn out how things would have, um, how Harris would have liked. Um, <laughs> Ray, 
It's not what Charles had in mind when he planned. Wasn't wasn't what Charles had in mind. Um, I don't know who the service provider is out in Augusta, but didn't really work out. Anyway, Reagan was taken away from the course. Uh, the hostages were either let go or escaped. Um, I believe there was sort of a there was like a demand for alcohol from um, Harris somewhere in it. it. There is a full article on this as Doesn't well. Doesn't sound like a sober bloke. Yeah, no, um, and he was arrested two hours later. Sidebar, how does Charles Harris get into Augusta? No. Okay, a couple of questions. Not to nitpick. How does Charles Harris know that the president's playing at Augusta National on that day? Uh, I think everyone knew that he was playing. Saw that He saw the entourage driving How in. does Charles Harris get all the way to the pro shop with a gun? Yeah, 1983, I'd suggest maybe the security measures weren't as tight as what they perhaps are now. Got some, got some big questions. Poor old Ronnie Reagan had a few run-ins with firearms in his time. Yeah, he did. Mm. Yeah, that anyway. led that led me down a rabbit hole too because I started looking <laughs> up assassination attempts on, on U.S. presidents. Wow, that's yeah. Uh, yeah, that's about three hours on Wikipedia never getting back. That's exactly right. Yeah. Uh, in 2018, this is a phenomenal story. In 2018, a man by the name of Johnny Pruitt got tickets to the Masters. This was his dream, Johnny. This was his absolute yeah. dream to go to the Masters. Him and every other. Yeah, Johnny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great story, though. It Fantastic. is a great story. Jealous, Near the 11th green, he collapsed and suffered a heart attack. Um, a quick-thinking patron gave him CPR, and he was transferred to hospital. But he was actually dead. He was actually pronounced dead. After a couple of weeks, he recovered uh, and uh, returned to full health. And in 2019, he returned to the same spot, Amen Corner, and, and lived out his dream and got to see one of the great sporting comebacks of all time with the big caps uh, winning, winning the green jacket. That's, that's an excellent story. Um, I'm, and I'm glad that Johnny's still with us. Uh, how, how uh, ironic is probably not the right word, um, coincidental maybe, that it happened at Amen Corner. Yeah, yeah. It's, there's, there's what's the word quirky about that? There is a word. Serendipitous. Yeah, maybe. serendipitous. That's the word. That's I think that's it. Great go. Great nice. vocab. Excellent great vocab. Um, Augusta National, as we've spoken about, has incredible pull and power. And I don't think this is, uh, I think this symbolizes the power that Augusta National Golf Club has over <laughs> um, over over golf. In 1994, Gary McCord <laughs> noticed that they don't cut the grass at Augusta. They use bikini wax. He was banned from the broadcast. Gary, you're not welcome here. Oh, Gary. But is that just not... Oh, my God. It's just... It's cultish. The more that you yeah, read about it, it, the more that Augusta is a cult. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's getting into, um, you know, NFL-type levels when people criticise the commissioner and um, mm. you know, their bosses at ESPN get phone calls. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's you know you don't you don't speak ill of Augusta National without consequence. Absolutely not. Um, as we know, one of the most famous parts of uh, of Augusta is that the prices haven't changed on on concessionaires. So um, pimento cheese sandwiches, egg salad sandwiches, the famous peach ice cream sandwiches. I think they're about two or three dollars, um, and I think a beer is around four dollars, um, which is just a, a little nod to the nod to the past, um, stuck in its ways, Augusta. Mm-hmm. Um, membership at Augusta National is incredibly powerful, as we spoke about. There are countless stories of C-suite executives, mining magnates, other powerful business people essentially falling to their knees um, about Augusta. 
the never-ending list of rules turns these powerful people um, and probably, let's just say, powerful men um, because there's mm. only a couple of uh, female members um, into children when they're at Augusta. Uh, they are nervous not to mis- make a mistake or risk being thrown out um, because the when, when the time comes to um, have your membership renewed for the following year, you simply don't get a letter. That's just how just it works. Come. That's just how it comes. Um, so it's a, a very powerful uh, piece of paper to these men. It's, it, it's yeah. again, I, I feel like we keep we keep arriving back at that, um, that cult like status, mm. you know, to reduce otherwise um, confident and in their personal lives powerful individuals to essentially um, children following. Mm. A, you know, a checklist of rules in order to remain part of a special club. Mm. It's, yeah, it's, it's one of those things that I, you noted this to me before we started recording that um, it holds a special place for golf fans, which almost makes you reluctant to read more about it. Yeah. Because you don't look the behind more the curtain. you peel back the curtain, the uglier it gets. Yeah, definitely. And, and I, I think, think yeah, it's it's that unique situation that we see it for four days a year in the context of a tournament. Mm-hmm. We don't see it for the rest of the year when it is a private members club. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I, I think you need to recognise that in many respects, while you still have the reminders, you've got the 1930s prices on food and bev, you've got the imported pine straws, you've got the um, not sand but mining Granules. Yeah. You've got the bird noises pumping through speakers. Augusta National for Masters week is different to Augusta National for the rest of the year. Mm, and it's definitely. the rest of the year that's a little bit scary, a yeah. little bit creepy. And we haven't done this podcast to can Augusta National. Not um, the slightest. And I think we'll when we get to the end and wrap it up, and I was saying to you, like, it did scare me a little bit doing all this research and, and looking into it because I, like you, probably looked at Augusta National through rose-coloured glasses. Mm. I didn't I didn't want to know what happened behind closed doors, um, but it is so fascinating. It's almost like a car crash. You just can't, can't stop reading about, you know, people like Hootie Johnson, <laughs> um, you know, people like Billy Payne. The, the history of it um, is very, very fascinating. But... Um, Anyway, we, we get to our conclusion with two topics still to go. Uh, during the Masters week, uh, obviously there are thousands and thousands of patrons um, who wear the ground down so much as, as any golf tournament and, and the Masters is not immune to this. So much so that mud forms absolutely everywhere, not that you'd ever see that on TV. Um, and it gives off a terrible sewerage smell. Um, it's, like, uh, it's like the golf version of Glastonbury. Yeah. Absolutely it is. Yep. Uh, there's people slipping over in mud and, and all all the craziness, but you never see that on uh, on the TV. Probably there's obviously a few few less um, substances. Yeah. In Glastonbury. <laughs> I'd suggest. I would agree. Uh, there's obviously the famous stories of, of um, the fact you're allowed to bring in one chair per person. Uh, you, you leave your name um, on it, your that's business crazy. card attached to it. Uh, you plonk it down and you go and walk around and that's it. That's that's it. No one takes your chair for the day. That happens literally nowhere else. <laughs> nowhere else. 
Can you imagine doing that in Australia? No. Just rocking up to a to a, to a footy game at the MCG. If this is how business it was ticketed, you just pop your business card on. Someone would come up and just pull your business card off and throw it away. Oh, that's a, that, that is yeah, that's unbelievable. Very, I very, like very I like that though. That's I love cool. it. I think it's fantastic. I just think it's it's it could only happen at Augusta National. We were talking about the chairman before. Uh, the chairman is the only person permitted to speak about the Masters uh, mm. and will always deflect any questions about the club as club matters. Um, and the chairman serves for an indefinite period of time until they're ready to stand down. It's good um, governance, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Open-ended term, chairmanship. That's really, that's it's, it's good. That's how we hold people to account. It's really good <laughs> governance. Uh, it's so funny. Uh, during Masters Week, the broadcast towers are camouflaged, wires are underground, uh, the microphones are well hidden, and the club, and this is very interesting, uh, the club controls the broadcast deal and it's awarded CBS a one-year deal year-on-year year since 1956. <laughs> so that just shows you how much control and power and how highly that is valued by the club. They could fetch an enormous amount of money on the open market, but mm. in, in this odd homage to Clifford Roberts's business sense, they continue to take less money year-on-year year to ensure they control who the rights go to and and what the club wants to broadcast. I think the content's a really important part of it too. I'd love to I'd love to understand the tender process. Do they even take they there even is take no office? tender process. Do they take meetings? Do they um do they accept sponsor proposals or broadcast proposals? Because that um this this goes this goes back to what we were talking about, you know, in response to women not being allowed to play in the early two thousands and um businesses withdrawing ads and commercial support in 2003, 2004, and them just not giving a flying. Yeah. It, it speaks to the same issue. They don't care about the dollar finger almost. It's more important to them to control the message. And I, I don't even know that they'd have the stomach for the negotiations. Like, can you imagine a, a Fox, you know, Fox do a couple of tournaments a year. Um, and therefore treat it entirely differently. Like the broadcast um, of the US Open is polar opposites to what CBS put out. But can you imagine Fox going to the negotiating table with um, the Augusta National Committee around what their broadcast might look like? I, I don't even know that it would be worth the time, no. to be honest. I think I, I, I think it's an open-ended... I, I think it will be CBS up until the time that the Masters just do their own broadcast. Yeah. And I'm sure that they've probably considered that too. No doubt about it. Well, I mean, in many respects, you do now. You have the opportunity um, via the Masters website to go and have a camera on every hole. You can watch whatever hole you like. So they they have it there. It's probably about reaching large numbers of people while they still leverage CBS. But I don't know that they're all that far away from canning that. It'll either be CBS themselves. It'll never be anybody else. No, I agree. And I would, um, obviously, I have no basis for this comment, but I would be unsur- I would not be surprised if there were members of Augusta National who were very high up in the CBS Corporation. I, I'd take it as red. <laughs> I, I would suggest that you know, any any time the the CEO of CBS changes, the chairman of CBS changes, there'd be membership waiting. No yeah. doubt about that. Definitely. 
There are two nines. Uh, they're not the front nine. They're not the back nine. They are the first nine and the second nine. Uh, Bobby Jones didn't like the term back nine. So that's um, just I a like little, that. little like idiosyncrasy. That. Um, I like that. Yeah. Weird. The Masters <laughs> is, um, is not one of, is, sorry. The Masters is one of, if not the most exclusive and best corporate sporting experience in the world. Um, because it lasts four days, businesses can entertain more guests than any other sporting experience. Um, more than the Super Bowl, which lasts three hours, more than um, NBA finals. Um, they have huge tents and, and um, you know, IBM and, and Mercedes-Benz, obviously huge supporters of the Masters, um, can entertain thousands of clients over four days. I mean, I, I'd be happy to go and um, park my little camp share with my business card on it. To be honest, yeah. but can you imagine? Like, can you imagine your experience that you had at the President's Cup, oh. lifting it to the Masters? No, like, I can't imagine it. Unbelievable to be yeah. in some sort of corporate hospitality setup at Augusta National. Unbelievable. It would be. I, I would love to do some more research and find out exactly what goes on. <laughs> um, you can only purchase official masters apparel um on site uh, so there are a number of stores on the property you can't buy anything online um and obviously as we know they don't share the merchandise sales from the week however it's estimated um that they uh make around 50 million dollars during masters week so i <laughs> just i mean you obviously can't buy anything online because they don't have a website but yeah. What what's the missed commercial? If they do fifty million in a week, what's the missed commercial opportunity for not having an online shop? But I think I think that's that's why they do fifty million. Absolutely. Is it's like you can only get it here, so people go, "Well, I better buy everything that I can." Absolutely. If it was online, every man and his dog would buy stuff, right? Like they they would probably do more than fifty million. Yeah, absolutely right. But I think the fact that it's so like limited that you can only get it at the event kind of shows like they, they love that again. They love the control. They are so, so damn cunning. Yeah. In the way they go about that. Yeah. I mean, in many respects, um, put uh, terrible social issue views uh, to one side. You have to respect the way they're on their business. Yeah. So it's slick. Yeah. It's super slick. It definitely is. Absolutely. Um, last oddity, um, at uh, I guess national that we know about. Obviously, there's probably plenty more. Um, there is a random green in the staff parking lot. It's got a bunker next to it. No one's really quite sure what it's used for. Uh, whether it's you know testing um, new grass, new whatever it might be, new slopings. Um, no one's really sure what it's used for. Go to Google Earth and have a look at it. It's in the staff car park, um, off to sort of the left. Um, of the property you can um, you can quite easily see it we're getting very close to the end km it's been a, a long haul but this has been a lot of fun to produce um, and i'm going to throw it back to you to take us through because we've had some very exciting guests on our podcast km who have Ooh. actually had the chance to go to augusta we have druids uh, um, we said at the very top that this wasn't going to be a let's walk you through hole by hole um, that the aim of this um of this episode or now episodes um, was to give you uh, an idea of those facts about Augusta National that you may not be aware of. However, as you flagged, we have been fortunate to have a number of guests so far 
um, on the 19th tee who've had the privilege of playing at Augusta National. And we figured an appropriate way to finish off this podcast would be to hear it from them again in their own words about their experience. So first up um, from episode 46, we have Evan Priest, who is the golf writer for the Australian Associated Press. Evan is based in New York. He covers the PGA Tour, specifically the Aussies on it for um, AAP and therefore attends the Masters each year. Um, He was fortunate enough to, in his first year of attending um, the Masters, win a place in the media draw. Uh, We've spoken about it a few times in the podcast, but for those who are unfamiliar with the concept, on Tournament Monday, so day after everything wraps up, uh, Augusta National allow a group of the media to play um, the course with the Sunday pins. So to give you an idea, there's a couple of hundred uh, media that attend the Masters each year. I think the draw is for about 30. So everyone's name goes into a hat, random draw, um, about 30 names get pulled out. Those media have the opportunity to play the course with the Sunday pins. And Evan was fortunate enough to be called out in his very first year of carrying the Masters. So here's Evan Priest speaking about his Augusta National experience from episode 46. Yeah, that's right. That was 2017 and that was that was my first Masters I'd ever covered. That was my first season on tour. That was my first four months of ever being in the United States. So it was all pretty How exciting. It all happened so fast. <laughs> <laughs> it all uh, it all happened so fast. But um, yeah, it, it was just it was honestly one of the best days of my life. It was just it was just like a dream come true, you know. And um, it was pretty nerve wracking on the Sunday evening because Sergio and Justin Rose. Looked like they were, you know, potentially going to go into a, a second playoff hole, and, and light was fading pretty fast. So um, I don't know, I, yeah, because the Masters, I can't even remember the last time I went to a playoff. I think it was something like nearly forty years ago. So there's just no precedent about what happens with the uh, unlucky journalists who are drawn out when it, when the Masters goes to a playoff. Um, so once that was ticked off, um, yeah, it was an amazing experience because under uh, under the new chairman, under Fred Ridley, it's. Um, uh, they've they've sort of made the media lottery day. Um, their mission is to make you feel like a member for the day. Whereas, you know, previous sort of Augusta administrations, it was more of a, you know, play the course and and whatever, and, and then kindly leave. But this is more about you get to go into the pro shop, you get to go up to you know the champions locker room, you get to hit balls in the range and meet your caddy. So when you get there, you've only got really an hour from the time that you enter the gates on Magnolia Lane um, to teeing off. So you have to kind of prioritise that. Like, what do you want to see? Do you want to go up and see Scotty's locker in the Champions locker room, which I obviously did. And I found it pretty cool that he shared a locker with Gary Player. And then uh, then you go down to the pro shop and, and that's where um, they pretty much change the merchandise overnight. It's like clockwork. They they get rid of all the Masters merchandise and it just suddenly becomes Augusta National merchandise. And anyone in the golf world in the States sort of knows that if you're wearing Augusta National merchandise, it means there's a very, very strong chance that you play the course. So it's almost like a secret handshake. So you want to get in there and get that stuff and you want to hit a few peels on the range and warm up. And that, that first tee shot, I was, that was the one thing I was thinking about all weekend, you know, like how am I going to hit this first tee shot? I was pretty nervous about it. Uh, and you, when you're teeing off, you're teeing off in front of the director of communications for Augusta National and a couple of members. And then, of course, your group and your caddies. Um, so I was lucky that I just wanted to get the ball airborne and, um, got it, got it airborne, pulled a little bit in the left rough, but safely off the tee and, and off and away I went. So it was just an amazing experience where, you know, tee to green, I was hitting the ball really well, but around the greens, I was blading a couple of chips just because you're so nervous. Like 
I think the better player you are, the, the more you try to, the more nervous you are and the more you care about the experience. So it, it's maybe hard to play well if you're a slightly better player. But but really all it boils down to is that you want to, you know, you want to maybe birdie one of the par fives. You, you want to hit a decent tee shot on 12. You want to try and have a go at 13 in two. And then, of course, maybe hit one up the shoot on the 18th tee. And those are the, the few shots that you really care about. And uh, it was just it was just an incredible experience. I, I just wish it never ended, you know. Nico Hearn was another who's uh, spent a bit of time at Augusta National. He's played in four Masters uh, from 2005 through to 2008. This was from episode 50, not too long ago, and we raised the bat for the half century. Um, Nick describes uh, exactly how to play Augusta National and and some of and one of the great stories um, of perhaps when he should have listened to his caddy, but uh, he decided to take his own advice um, against that of his caddies. Oh, it was amazing. I mean, uh, yeah, I went to my first trip there was so far. I think I got there on a Saturday before because the weekend before the members are still playing, but it's, there's not many pros and it's very, very quiet. And uh, I walked straight to the 10th tee and just walked the back nine. Didn't even take any clubs. I just wanted to walk it. And I think I sat on the 12th green, 13th tee for about half an hour, just sort of absorbing it, taking it all in. And it was just an amazing experience because that's my favourite place on the golf course is 12 green around there because no one can get over there unless you're a member or playing the tournament because everyone's the crowd and that are back behind the 12th tee. Um, And that first year was, you know, very interesting. One of the best things my caddy and I did is I went to the caddy master um, early on and I said who's who's your best green reader amongst your caddies and they said oh it's, uh, it's this guy so I said right come with us Oscar I think his name was and um, he uh, he walked out in holes with my caddy and I and I said okay tell me where the pins are going to be what do the breaks do because I've watched it on TV and I know there's some you know real intricacies to the golf course and he explained some fascinating things to us and gave us some really good insights which really helped me throughout the tournaments that I played there um, and then it's a matter of trying to have the right strategy for yourself. For the, that golf course definitely suits a left-hander, but it suits a long-hitting left-hander. So I'm only in half of that equation, unfortunately, um, because something with a high right-to-left ball flight works really well on a lot of the holes, especially off the tee. And then holes like, for instance, the 12th, that's my favourite or almost the easiest hole on the golf course for me being a lefty because my my pull is long right and my push is short left, which is perfect for the way the hole sets up. Now, for a right-hander, it's the opposite. Push is short right and a pull is long left, and that's water or dead in the back trees or bunker. So there was a number of holes there that sets up perfect for a lefty, and, um, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. But the problem for me was my lack of length meant I couldn't really attack too many holes there because the, I tucked the pins and I had a lot of long clubs coming in, and I remember the first time I played the 15th for par fives, my caddy and I had a strategy. Well, if I don't get far enough down to where I can hit like a hybrid in there, I'm not going to go for the green too because it's just too dangerous a shot. And the first round I ever played there was Thursday uh, afternoon. And we're at the top of the hill and I basically got three wood in. I'm too far back. And my caddy says, okay, just take the eight iron, lay it up down the left, pins on the right, no worries. And I looked at him and I said, mate, just give me the three wood. And he said, what do you mean? I said, give me the three. I've seen this shot for the last 30 bloody years. I'm going for it. <laughs> and I couldn't help myself. And he said, no, 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 no. He, don't want to, he, he didn't want to give me the club. But in the end, I said, no, nah, just give it to me. I don't care what happens. 
And sure enough, I blew it straight over the back of the green, which is almost impossible to get it up and down. Scramble for my car, and as we're walking off, he says, I hope you got that out of your system. I said, yeah, no worry, but it was worth it. <laughs> so, but that's the beauty of Augusta. It kind of sucks you into doing things that you shouldn't do, and um, I would have never forgiven myself if I never had a crack at that green in two. <laughs> this one, Druids, we're going way back to episode six. Retro. Um, very. It's actually a little bit... Uh, well, I don't know, but yeah, I cringe a little bit when I listen to these early episodes. <laughs> yeah, I always encourage people, go and listen to a back catalogue after about episode 30. <laughs> yeah, but th- this is actually one of my favourites um, because this is a this is a guy who I've continued to stay in touch with. He's an excellent bloke, um, very down to earth and really looking forward to seeing uh, when golf resumes, how he goes on his first year on the European Tour. But Queenslander Maverick Ancliffe joined us back in episode six uh, Maverick attended college um, at Augusta State, um, which is now just Augusta University, um, but obviously quite close to the course and had the opportunity to both visit and play a number of times uh, as a young as a young Aussie. Uh, obviously, grown up in golf and watched Masters um, early in those those mornings in April his whole life. So here's Maverick Ancliffe on his time at Augusta National. Uh, yeah, I've actually I've played it twice and then been to the Masters um, probably around probably average like three times a year for five years. So yeah, been on the property. Been very lucky to be on there quite a bit. Yeah, it, honestly, it was probably a thousand times better than what I expected. To be honest, um, I'm I'm not like a I'm not a golf course guy. Like I just like playing golf. I like competing. Yeah. Whatever it might be, um, but in terms of like golf courses, like I'm, you know, you know, like, yeah, I'm not salivating at the the opportunity of playing a certain golf course, or whatever. But like going in there, I mean, it's just unbelievable. It's yeah, TV doesn't do it justice. Um, but then even you know, like being fortunate enough to play, you get to drive down Magnolia Lane, you get to go eat lunch in the clubhouse, you get to go. To the the champions locker room you get to go to the crow's nest um yeah it's 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 unreal to be honest benny everill uh joined us back in episode 27 that was a uh, a lot of fun ben everill of course working for the pga tour as a rider traveling around um arguably has the best job in the world uh, and he also recalled a bit of his time at the famed augusta national back in episode 27 yeah playing augusta was phenomenal, um, it, especially as it was right after Scotty won the Monday after Adam Scott won the Masters. Mm. Uh, a week I'll never forget. Yeah, there's essentially there's 24 slots I think that are, are a lottery for, uh, and you know the 500 or so media put your name in, and uh, if you get drawn out, you get to play the next day. Um, and if you are drawn out, you are then no longer even able to put yourself into the lottery for seven years after. So I'm actually not. El- this is my first year eligible. <laughs> not, <again>. not eligible. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was not eligible until to put my name back in after coming out in 2013. But uh, you can imagine back then I was actually uh, still working for the Australian Associated Press and covering only the Australians on the tour. Um, and uh, the busiest and most amazing week, uh, and I'm getting, I'm literally getting goosebumps and, and the shakes thinking about it again now, but we had four, only four guys there. Um, all three of them were in the top 10 the entire week. The fourth, John Sennon, was actually a putt from the, a two-foot putt from the lead mid-second round. Um, it was just 
an incredible, incredible week. And I'm close to Jason Day, and I I went from um, like heartache, or sort of essentially, to euphoria in such a quick uh, space of time. Because people forget he led by two on the 16th tee Sunday that day, and was went bogey bogey and fell out of it. And then all of a sudden, Adam um, came from the cloud to get himself into that playoff and make that putt. And, and yeah, knowing all that Sunday that I was going to play um, the next morning, I'd already known that I'd been drawn out. So let me tell you. I didn't want another hole because if we went to a Monday, I was going to miss my tea time and not get it anymore. So <laughs> I was very happy with Adam for multiple reasons. And I essentially went to uh, Augusta National early Monday morning off the back of having beers with Adam Scott in the green jacket at his house at like one and two in the morning. And then, you know, no sleep off to Augusta to play. Uh, what a week. And lastly, Drude's uh, a man who unfortunately is yet to play Augusta National. Uh, we had him on way back in episode 13 and it was appropriately that episode titled the Lucas Michelle Appreciation Society. Still exists. Uh, it does. Uh, you're speaking to um, the two founding members uh, of the Lucas Michelle Appreciation Society. He, of course, won the US Mid-Am last year, which booked his ticket to Augusta National. Um, he was all set to go this year. In fact, he flew over a month in advance to acclimatise, had the opportunity to play a couple of rounds there prior. Uh, and then, of course, um, COVID-19 got in the way uh, and he's now back home in Melbourne. Uh, he has an interesting decision to make. He was set to turn pro post his appearance at the Masters, but he has um, said that he will delay that for as long as necessary for him to be able to take his spot in November's tournament so he still gets to play Augusta National. A self-confessed architect nerd, an absolute golf nuff, um, and he spoke to us back in episode 13 about essentially what he was expecting and what he was looking forward to about playing Augusta National. It kind of still doesn't seem, still doesn't quite seem real that I'm going to be pegging it up there. Um, although technically the invite hasn't come yet, although from what I've heard, it, it'll be on its way shortly. Um, so I should be getting it, well, I don't know, shortly, but it's definitely coming. That's what I've heard. Please, but, please um, inform us if it doesn't, because we'll, we'll happily write <laughs> a strongly no, no. worded email to... I've, uh... Yeah. I've heard it's an absolute lock from everyone. Okay. So no, there's no, there's no, there's no um, ambiguity there. Um, so yeah, um, it's been yeah, it's been quieter now. Although yeah, it'll be definitely starting to pick up once the um, the Masters sort of sort of starts getting a bit closer. And like I said, it doesn't seem quite real yet that it's going to happen. Um, and I guess it won't really hit me until I'm there. I'm sure. Um, yeah, it's kind of crazy. It's in the, any golfer for any golfer or any kid growing up that loves golf. Like the Masters morning, the best morning of the year. You wake up at whatever time it is, it's not, probably not that bad of a time zone, actually. You wake up at, you know, six in the morning, you watch the last nine holes or whatever it is, and it's the best morning of the year, Monday morning on the Masters. So to be able to be there and and experience it while playing it is, is just crazy. Like, it's absolutely insane. Some exciting guests, KM, uh, and we're very jealous of all of those who have played or who are going to get the opportunity to play at Augusta National um, because it is so revered, it's so famed, and uh, we can only live vicariously through those who have uh, who have been there. Absolutely, Drudes. Uh, 
and I think that you know that's that's probably a pretty good place to leave it. Um, it's been it's been an interesting journey, I think, to learn a lot more about a course um, that's so synonymous with the game, and a course that you know many of us here in Australia uh, fall in love with each and every April. Uh, and holds a special place in our heart. But as you know, as we've said a number of times, when you do a little bit of digging, when you peel back the curtain a bit, there's some fascinating things about mm-hmm. um, the history, whether it's how it was purchased, whether it was the design process, or anything that's happened in between. Uh, it's it's a yeah, it's it's a remarkable place, Augusta National, not just as a piece of property, but I think the way in which it's run. Uh, and it's been yeah, it's been a lot of fun, I think, to to take a look inside the inner workings of, of Augusta National. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, you know, I've got my last couple of notes that I've jotted down that the only way I could describe it is that it's fascinating. You know, we obviously we talk about the, the, the bright green, fluorescent, almost green grass, the flowers, the patrons, the of course the memories of the masters that that, that we all know and love and um, that's the sort of stuff that I, I think of um, absolutely when I think of Augusta National. However, um, it is hard not to be swept up in the cultish-like nature of Augusta National Golf Club. Um, the 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 club um, the the club, not the Masters, but the club has more in common with something uh, akin to a Bohemian Grove or a or a Disneyland than it does, you know, with a with a fellow golf course like St Andrews or Pebble Beach or or any of those others. Um, there's no doubt that the 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 history of the club um, is all it all certainly just stares us straight in the face, but um, it is. It's always going to be famed. Uh, I don't think Augusta National is ever going to change. Um, it, it's, I don't know, did, did doing all this research and, and talking about it, did it change your perception of the course at all? Uh, or the club? Didn't change my perception of the course. Um, it's probably two different things. Yes, has changed my perception of the club. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I mean, there was, there was parts of that that I was aware of. I was aware of the... Um, know of the, of the shameful history of racism and mm. sexism and there were other things that uh, i wasn't uh, that i think have definitely changed my perception of the club however um in fairness my my first love has never necessarily been the tradition or the process of the the club itself it's been the course yeah when i tune in and i don't think that will ever change in fact this probably is reinforced that strongly yeah definitely it's a um it's a fascinating course and it's one that um i I, i'm always going to continue to love and and hopefully one day that um i will be able to get to the masters and and check out the course in the flesh but uh i agree with you we're winning the media draw yeah jesus can you imagine that a couple of 20-something handicappers going around. Sunday pins, baby. Oh, my God. And shoot 200. <laughs> It'd be unbelievable. No, they were, that was a lot of fun uh, having a look in, into the history. And if anyone wants to do any more digging, I encourage you to. There is, um, there's bits and pieces of information out there that, uh, that kind of peel back different layers if you really want to go down that, um, that rabbit hole. But, yeah, that was a lot of fun going through Augusta National.
if you do go down that rabbit hole, good luck trying to cross-reference. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everyone's got a different version That's of the story. Awesome. Absolutely. No, it was, uh, it was good fun, man. I'm glad that, we, glad that we followed through with our idea to turn our bracket into a podcast. And hopefully, um, if you've stayed with us for this long, uh, firstly, thank you. Yeah. Um, you're, you're obviously one of the loyal ones. Um, and hopefully, you've, you've got a bit out of that that you didn't otherwise know about. Augusta National. Drewster, a couple of exciting guests coming up in the next few weeks. Uh, We will be speaking with uh, the wedge wizard, Mr. Brett Rumford himself, uh, a man synonymous with the short game. Yeah. Um, A man who everybody has been trying to copy with their trick shots in this COVID break. Uh, Really looking forward to having a chat to Brett Rumford about um, what's been quite a successful career. Six European Tour wins and now what he's doing with his next steps. Um, He's working in the pro shop at Wembley. Wembley. One of your favourites over there in Perth as part of the PGA of Australia's bridging program. Mm. Uh, Take his next steps into becoming a teaching professional. So Brett Rumford joining us. Also Zach Murray. Yes, um, the giraffe, as they yes. call him. Uh, you know, a very promising up-and-coming Aussie golfer, um, and, and just a really good bloke by all accounts. So I'm sure he'll have some great stories to tell Zach Murray uh, in in the coming weeks. So some exciting guests coming up, and of course, Drudes, that we aren't too far away um, from the planned resumption of the PGA Tour. Yeah, very exciting. So uh, we've also got a couple of exciting announcements on the way, KM, mm. that we won't mention too much about, but a couple of exciting announcements. Um, a couple of things plugging away in the background, which, yeah, um, yeah very excited to uh, hopefully announce a few things in the next couple of weeks about the 19th T. Um, but as always, um, you know, we can't do it without the law support of our listeners who we do this for, and hopefully they get something out of um, two dribblers talking yeah. about each yeah. and every week, as we have done again this week. Get around us on the socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, drop us a comment, leave us a review, let us know, reach out, say good day. I actually had someone um, reach out to me on LinkedIn the other day and uh, connect with me. Um, I, my apologies, I haven't got my LinkedIn profile up in front of me, so I can't remember your name, but what a bloody champion. I love that uh, because it shows that, you know, uh, we're not all party. We are business too. Yeah, well, absolutely. You know, reach out to us on LinkedIn. Uh, it's where the professionals <laughs> It's where the professionals connect. So, you know, if that's your platform, if you're not comfortable on, on the gram, on the book, on Twitter, if you are a LinkedIn kind of person, don't we be, are there as well. Don't be afraid. We're there as well. And we're happy to talk. Um, you know, also happy to talk about my day-to-day job, but you know, I'd rather talk to you about the nineteenth tee on, yeah, on, on the LinkedIn. So, Drew, so that'll do us. I That's think enough. We've absolutely chewed each other's ear off, and that was a mammoth effort. Yeah, it was. It was, and you know, credit where it's due. Uh, you did the great majority of the research, so we couldn't have done that without your work. Uh, I'm sure. I mean, I'm definitely thankful for it because it made me sound smart, and I'm sure the listeners are thankful for it as well. <laughs> so, thank you, mate. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Uh, it's been a pleasure to be back in the ears of our listeners once yes. again. Um, and we'll be doing it all again very shortly. That's all from the 19th tee this week. Uh, until next time, hopefully you're getting out in isolation, whether it's the backyard net, the driving range, or now back on the course and enjoying one of life's great treats being back on the golf course. We'll speak to you soon.